Welcome to our Lunch with Dr. Cookwood series Thank podcast. Um, today we welcome Dr. Keto Lord, um, over our emergency department. Um, we've covered make it happen, be dependable, and know your why. Um, those are all kind of warm and fuzzy things that are that um, help us to be premier. Um, but today we're going to talk about one of those things that really. Um, challenges us, and that's challenging the status quo, um, which we feel is an important thing to do because one of the things that we hear over and over in our organization is that's not how we do it here. Mm -hmm. Um, And as medical director of the emergency department, um, you, from what I understand, you came here with eyes wide open Mm -hmm. that there are opportunities to challenge the status quo, and you've um, embraced those, um, and we're excited that you have. Um, so welcome. Thank you very much. Um, I, I understand that you um, decided to leave your hometown of Philadelphia, Philadelphia. to come to Memphis. Yep. That's, that's good. Um, because of a chance to challenge the status quo at Regional One Health. Expound on that and what, what made you do that um, yeah. leap of faith. Absolutely. I think uh, if you really like clinical operations, I, I, I think you like to improve things. Uh, I think keeping things the same. Uh, doesn't really entice you as much as being able to make transformational change. I think my philosophy is that I could help more people doing clinical operations that I could one at a time, maybe from a patient care perspective. And so for me, coming to a place that that needed some improvement, um, but also had a lot of opportunity to grow and was ready for that growth, uh, really attracted me down here. Uh, also, the idea of implementing or installing a uh, emergency medicine residency program um, emergency medicine or hadn't been an emergency medicine program uh, in Memphis for, for forever. Um, and then about two, three years prior to me coming, we started uh, the, the emergency medicine residency program. And then it was expanding uh, more into regional one. So the chance of being a part of, you know, history and emergency medicine in Memphis felt like an honor to be part of that. So let me be clear, coming to work with Dr. Cooper was it one of those things? That, that, was, that was number three. <laughs> That was number three. <laughs> yeah, I had the list, and I you stopped me short. Oh, <laughs> and okay. the work here was about to come. It was about Yes, it was about to come. All right, dramatic all right. pauses we'll, there every we'll now you, and then. We'll let you slide. Okay. Right. So you re- arrive yeah. in Memphis at yeah. Regional One Health. Yeah. Um, what did you see in the emergency department in terms of operation that needed to change? Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting. I thought that some of the big things that a hospital, the emergency department struggled with were actually working pretty well. Um, you know, our lab turnaround time wasn't wasn't atrocious. wasn't bad. Uh, our radiology turnaround time. I mean, if you needed to get an MRI, you get an MRI. Need to get a CT scan in a, in a, in a timely, effective manner, you could get one. It, it, so those thread, those bones were pretty good. Uh, Staffing-wise, from a physician standpoint, we're actually pretty well staffed. It was more about allocation of resources and alignment of the structure of the ED that needed, you know, some improvement. Uh, so making us all work together. So we had that, that keyword synergy, that buzzword synergy. So we're all working together to make it more efficient. So I think that was kind of one of the issues that I saw. So that was my theory, and I came here to test it out. So All right. And you also, we had our wait times, patients in the emergency room mm-hmm. for a long period of time, yeah. waiting on a doctor, door to doc, doctor, door, yeah. Yeah. All, all those, those metrics, metrics that, yeah. that um, exist in the emergency medicine field. Um what what have you done to kind of address those to get them more in line? Yeah. I, and I know there's still work to be done. Yeah, I think uh, we reduced our door-to-doc time, the amount of time it takes for a physician to see a patient by almost 50%. 
um, we, we reduced the number of patients leaving the ED without care, meaning left without being seen by almost 75%. So we made some big operational improvements. Um, you know, challenging the status quo. Uh, so, you know, we, we identified that there were some issues. Uh, and I think the first thing when you identify issues, you have to test and see if your theory is correct. So we got data in order to figure out exactly if the numbers were accurate. So they were. We were having long lengths of stay. Second thing was to figure out why, and that really required process mapping uh, of each different component of the length of stay project and figuring out who our key players are. I think a lot of times we always look to physicians. Uh, we look to uh, nursing. Uh, but in reality, we're a whole team from registration. You have your EVS. You have labs and ancillary, other ancillary services all working together to take care of a patient. So it's important that you map all those different areas out. So you need to ask tough questions. Mm -hmm. You need to um, um, get the data to clarify so that you know where you are, yeah. where your starting point is, and you need to test procedures that have been around for a really long time. Um, we brought in an outside firm, mm -hmm. um, Blue, Blue Jay, Blue Blue Jay, Jay yes. and, um, and, and you were a, a great um, disciple of those changes, yes, and they absolutely. helped kind of block and tackle yeah, as you yeah. were in, in, in the background trying mm -hmm. to then put new things in place. Um, tell me about the data and the importance of data in, in order to make the changes and then also to um, sustain them. Yeah, data is essential. Uh, if, if you're not measuring something, you really don't know whether or not you're doing a good job. Uh, and then the second thing, and, and we had mentioned this a little bit earlier, is making sure that you guys all agree about the data. Uh, a lot of times physicians or nursing will say, I don't believe these numbers. I don't believe these numbers. Well, why? And so we as leadership need to figure out why there are issues with the data and figure out how well we could use them and what limitations they might have. So one of the first things that we did, and, and thanks to, to Domo, um, was to uh, establish uh, uh, our, our numbers and figure out, make sure that we all agree that this is the number of patients who will leave without being seen. This was our door-to-doc time, the whole length of stay time. And so once we got a baseline, we were able to figure out what areas we needed to improve. So it's essential that you have some type of numbers um, and you're looking at them on an ongoing basis. So everyone said, yay for change and let's make this happen, or did, were there a few that had a little bit of resistance? Uh, yeah, so status quo, I mean, you know, status quo really is about having a bias toward doing what you've been doing the entire time or previously. One of the things is that that bias, you know, may be outgrown to the fact where healthcare has changed dramatically. So every three to five years, things shuffle. CMS comes out with a new regulation every every other week, I think. Uh, <laughs> and so you have to keep up. Standard of care has changed. Even how physicians are being trained and coming in and what their expectations are. And obviously our patients, you know, they're, they're, they're asking for more from us and we need to give more. So the status quo is, 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 is one of those things where you got to figure out, I think if you go straight operationally, you'll never get buy-in, right? It's a cultural issue. Changing culture is very, very different from panning people's statistics. Statistics work good with people like me. I love statistics. So you give me some numbers. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Let's change everything. But some people have really, you know, dedicated their time to believing a certain way, a certain practice, and showing them that it's been outgrown and there might be a better way. I think first is like identifying the common language. One of the things that I noticed about Regional One is that people are very, very passionate about taking care of patients here. People drive from all over the state of Tennessee. Uh, they're very, very proud of what they do. So what we did from a leadership perspective, and this was not just myself, it was a team, you know, like a smart, you know, Angelita, Charles, everybody. What we did is that we identified the theme that people wanted to take good care of patients, honestly. 
And because we identified that theme, we wanted to show that we could be doing better using that common language. And so when we got the people who were resistant to change, we showed them where we, where we were. Um, we showed them from a numbers perspective, this is where we were. And we said, we could be doing better. And I think they bought into that. And, and slowly, obviously, some people didn't believe. They said, we always try to change things. Every three years, you try to modify things. Um, and things go back to where they were. But we took that to heart. So we knew that we needed to do a great follow-up plan after implementing right. change. That was probably the, the one thing we learned from the naysayers and the people who were skeptical was that we had to do a good job of reinforcing it. So you're, you're a little younger than I am, and, and that's okay. Um, um, but we both went to medical school. Yes. When I went to medical school, we yeah. didn't learn a yeah. whole lot about um, me dealing with the metrics of, of processes. And is it any better now, yeah. or did you go on to get other education to help you yeah. take your scientific learning to, to be able to pull to this To merge off? both of those. Yeah, so I, I did a, a, a administrative fellowship at Yale. Um, I got my MBA at Yale, um, and I did a focus in healthcare operations, um, especially within quality safety as well. And so I learned a lot about healthcare. <laughs> There's a lot of there, healthcare is a very complex uh, institution, as we all know, um, and navigating it is very difficult. And so I got a chance to learn about healthcare economics. Uh, got a chance to learn about clinical operations. You know, got learned about some of the theories out there regarding. Uh, wait times. Um, so it was great to kind of get a different perspective uh, of, uh, of uh, healthcare from a more business perspective mm -hmm. um, and also merge that with my clinical understanding and find the, 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 the unique synergies between those two different areas. So you were, you had the tools to be able to st challenge the status quo. Um, because a lot of times oh, I doesn't feel, I feel this and I feel that and we, yeah. it's hard to implement something on yeah. feelings yeah. and to be able to get the data and help move the needle. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things we do, and a lot of physicians talk about evidence-based medicine. Uh, we do a really good job with evidence-based medicine. If you want to get a drug implemented, you know, for part of P&T committee and the new formulary, it'll go through different processes. Um, we'll do research. Uh, we'll, we'll have a debate. When it comes to operational changes, uh, there's a wealth of literature out there, but a lot of times we go in our gut. We say, you know what, I want to do it this way because this is the way I feel today. And we don't do testing. We don't go say, hey, well, let's see what results we got after we implemented this. Um, and so we, we struggle with that. So I like that you use the term, you know, evidence-based clinical operations, um, making, you know, changes based off of data as opposed to how I feel. So that way, if Charles and I disagree, we're on the same page, we have some data, external data to validate that our decisions. So speaking of status quo, yeah. um, it was clear when I got here mm -hmm. that medicine is on this side and trauma's on that side, yeah. and the two will never cross. Um, I had a dinner one day with the then dean and, and, um, and Dr. Walker and said, how about we mm -hmm break down that theoretical wall, mm -hmm. and um, no one really thought it could happen, but yeah. it was placed in yours and Dr. Fisher's hands mm -hmm. to be able to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So tell me how that went and how it's going. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great thing. So what we, historically, uh, there's been a medicine side and a trauma side, and the two areas did not interact. Nurses didn't interact, completely different departments. Uh, in August of almost a year ago, we ended up implementing a uh, new strategy. We put emergency medicine physicians there, uh, staffed 24-7, and we also uh, put a resident there. Um, and we also had nurses cross-trained to work on both sides. 
Uh, and uh, we, we, uh, we, we did a lot of hard work prior to that. <laughs> That's the easy part. The hard part was really uh, mapping out uh, how to implement this. So we had to get the physicians on board. So Fisher uh, spoke uh, to his team and I spoke to my team and we brought back concerns and we met. And so what we did was we met on a regular basis. Uh, and Peter Fisher, Dr. Fisher is a trauma surgeon and I'm the ER director. And so we got a chance to meet on an ongoing basis and really hammer this home. At one point, he, he and I said, let's just set a date. Let's just set a date and let's see if we can make this happen. So I had the task of trying to hire more individuals, uh, getting everything from our operational standpoint ready, um, getting the nurses up to date, uh, and, and Fisher had you know his side because he was going to be moving his whole entire staffing model around as well. So we set a date and we met periodically. And uh, when that date rolled out, we were both ready, and so we were able to make that happen. The other component too is that nursing behind this you know, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes was also doing the same exact thing. That they were meeting with people on going basis, addressing concerns, making sure that people's perceived notion of what would happen. Uh, really wasn't going to happen. Because uh, what we were doing was we were adding more physician coverage to the trauma area. I mean, you know, this makes it safer. And I think, like I, said, I mentioned before, having that language of this is going to improve the care we're delivering to our patients. That really resonates with people. You know, whether or not you believe it's up or down, that's that one commonality that, that all healthcare providers have. And that was very, 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 very important for the CCA nurses, well, the Jefferson nurses and the physician is that this is going to make things better. And we implemented it, and it was. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, length of stay went down. There was a, there was a doctor, you know, an ER doctor that was down there in the emergency department that was there to go to for help uh, for nursing. There was also a residence. There was more staffing. Um, the the trauma residents enjoyed it. You know, the the trauma attendings were happy about it. The CCA nurses. It was one of those things where I was like, wow. And, and to be fair, it probably was the right timing. Uh, you know, timing is everything too. But people really uh, bought into the improvements in terms of patient care. Well, very good. And so how are you? Um, I know we had kind of a hodgepodge of mm -hmm. ED trained docs mm -hmm. and emergency medicine trained docs mm -hmm. and internists and, yeah. and um, um, locums people. Yeah. How, yeah. how are we now yeah. on, so on it's our really, percent of staff? So we're doing really, really good. So right now our staffing is almost doubled from, from what it was before. Um, and we've added new APPs, and we also have add, added a, a number of new physicians. Um, one of the things that I've, I've, I've been really proud of, and it's not a, something that you could you know, get a number of statistics, is that when people are out of the community and there are other ED physicians, and they come to you and say, hey, I heard the things you're doing at Regional One, they're really, really great. You know, I'd like to see about a job opportunity over there. That's probably the highest compliment that you could get uh, being a, a practicing physician is that when they look at the shop and they said, you know, I would like to work at your institution. So now we actually have a lot of applicants that are actually applying right now. Um, we're trying to choose the best applicants for, for our department and our needs and our growth going forward. We probably have or approaching probably the highest percentage of emergency um, medicine trained um, attendings mm -hmm. in our emergency room than, yeah. the, than the community. Oh, absolutely. Percentage-wise, absolutely, 100%. And that's been, it's also been good with, with care. Um, you know, I think you did uh, conscious sedations, you talk about reduction, you talk about a lot of different things that the skills that an emergency medicine physician may have helps to expedite care um, as well. So I hear you like to travel. Yes. Um, and um, I hear you've been to a lot of um, cool places. Tell yeah. me a little bit about your travels and, and where yeah. you've been and where you want, what your next adventure might oh, be. Oh, man. You know, the, the, it, having something to look forward to is always great, uh, especially in this, in this line of work. So, uh, you know, I work hard and I like to travel hard. So, uh, so I went to uh, Mauritius, which is uh, 
right off the coast of Africa, uh, which is a small little island, um, beautiful, uh, mostly, I believe, uh, French tourist destination, uh, beautiful beaches, some of the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen there. Uh, I recently got back from, um, uh, from Tanzania, and wow. uh, so I spent ten, some time in Tanzania, I did a safari over there. Uh, that was for a few days, beautiful animals. I mean, the, the, it's just, the landscape is beautiful. The animals are just amazing to get so close. I have hundreds and hundreds of photos. So if anybody wants to see them, I'm more than happy to share them with you. I don't get too many volunteers for that. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I went to Zanzibar, uh, which, which, mm. which also is another beautiful beaches. The culture there is so rich. I think learning about uh, uh, East Africa and kind of, you know, uh, its development has been amazing. So I did a lot of reading in terms of uh, just kind of, you know, Kenya looking at Tanzania. Some of the the, the, the independence and moving forward has also been great. Um, I spent a lot of time in, in Liberia. I like Liberia. Liberia is a special place in my heart. Uh, I did some, uh, I was the site director for the um, J&J National Scholars Program for, for, for Liberia. Um, and so that place has always been a special place to me. So I'm hoping to come back. Uh, pretty soon, you know, I've been to Haiti, you know, I've been to Europe, I've been to Barbados, you know, I've been to a few different places. Um, but yeah, I like traveling. I like learning about different cultures. Uh, and last time I went to Zanzibar, I did stop in a clinic <laughs> and spoke to one of the local physicians over there just because it was just, you know, I wanted to see what was going on. He was super excited to see me. So we talked a little bit about their HIV program, malaria. He gave me all, you know, he was talking about all the improvements they've made to their clinical operations. So clinical operations is a global thing. So all doctors <laughs> overall want to show about how well they're doing worldwide. everywhere. Absolutely. Well, very good. I, I, I hear you. Um, like basketball and like challenging people in basketball, my basketball days, I've had to hot, uh, retire my my Jordans, but now I play golf. Okay. And, um, you know, if you ever pick up the sticks, so I'd love to challenge okay. you okay. For, for a game of golf. Absolutely. Well, we had Chinese food today, yeah. and I think you have a... Yeah. Uh, a, um, Let me see what we have here. Fortune cookie there, and we'll yeah. see what the this fortune for this organization is. The week will be for me, right? Uh, let's see. <laughs> All right, you want to go first? I want to go first. Um, so, don't play for safety. It's the most dangerous thing in the world. I'm not sure that. So every single one, we 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 love safety. <laughs> just to put it out there, <laughs> we love safety. Safety is a high priority at Regional One. Uh, so mine says, "How about another fortune?" I was like, "Don't mind That's, if I do." Other side has. Oh. Okay, having more money does not ensure happiness. That's great. I, I would tell my employees that. I said, you know, more money won't equal happiness at this current time. So we can cut back on your salary? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it works for everybody. You know, there's, oh, certain, okay. there's a certain threshold point. You oh, know, okay. I, like, I think I'm at a good place right now. All right, All right. Well, very good. Well, it's obvious traveling can, can, can provide exactly. um, I need that. way more happiness than, than sometimes money. Well, I've enjoyed talking with you. Thank, Thank you. you for all that you've done in our emergency Absolutely. department and and um, moving the culture mm -hmm. to moving it toward premier. Mm -hmm. uh, appreciate you for um, challenging the status quo. Absolutely. Um, it's one of my privileges to lead an organization where that's okay. Mm -hmm. And um, we look forward to see the great things that you'll have in store for us as you continue to lead this department. Thanks so much. I really appreciate being here. All right. All Thank right, you. Thank you. You've been listening to Lunch with Dr. Coopwood, a 12-part series that features Dr. Coopwood in conversations with people around Regional One Health and elsewhere who are making a difference with our premier behavior.